feel like it's like, it's something like holding in a sneeze. Like it really hurts. You know, it's like you have this, all this pressure and you have to get it out in the world. And if you try to like bury the sneeze, you just end up getting a headache. It's kind of like that with words. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. Hi, writers. On today's episode of the Find Your Voice podcast, I'm talking to my new friend, Mary Morantz. You are going to love Mary. She is so kind and thoughtful and has so many important insights to share. Mary is a public speaker. She has a podcast called The Mary Morantz Show, which by the way, wherever you're listening to this podcast, you should go look for her podcast. She has so many incredible guests and has such amazing deep conversations with them, which you know I love. And the other thing that's important for the sake of this episode is Mary is the author of a new book called Dirt, Growing Strong Roots in What Makes the Broken Beautiful. Mary is the perfect guest for this show because as you know, what we talk about, what I teach here is to write your personal story in a way that it's inspirational to others. And Mary has nailed that to a T with this book. You're going to love the book. You're going to love Mary. And you're going to love this conversation. We're going to talk about what makes our personal stories unique and beautiful, as in why should we actually take the time to tell them to other people? We'll talk about how to tell your story in a way that makes it interesting, not just to you, but actually to them. And we'll talk about how to write about the people in our stories who are, let's call them complicated. We all have complicated people in our stories. Mary is no exception to that. So she's going to give some really important insight there. And finally, we'll spend a little bit of time toward the end of the episode talking shop. Those of you who know you have a book you want to publish, whether it's self-published or traditionally published, we are going to talk about agents and book proposal documents and all of that fun stuff. So stay tuned for that. If you have a dream of writing your personal story, but you worry that your story isn't that interesting, you're not going to want to miss today's episode. You're about to find out just how interesting your story truly is. Hi, welcome to the podcast, Mary Morantz. Oh my gosh, Allie, thank you so much for having me. I, I sent you a DM not too long ago and I was like, but but like seriously, I think we're going to be actual I friends. I think we're going to be friends. <laughs> we definitely, we are friends. Done, 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 done. Fast friends. Yeah. It, it just makes sense. Well, you've written this beautiful book. It's called Dirt, Growing Strong Roots in What Makes the Broken Beautiful. And I'm a huge fan of you. I'm a huge fan of this book. I'm kind of a new fan. I've been, you know, around your orbit for maybe a month or so, mm-hmm. but I love what you're doing. I love who you are. And I'm so excited to get to talk to you about this today. I mentioned this to you before we started recording, but we did an Instagram live with you where I had a long conversation with you on Instagram about what it was like to write such a personal story. And you shared so much valuable Mm -hmm. information there. So if you haven't had a chance to go listen to Mary there, you can still see that it's saved in my feed on Instagram. But today I want to go an extra step deeper. And I really want to dive into the specifics of the writing, editing, publishing process, because so many people who are listening have these questions for us that they ask us over and over and over again. And I've given my answers, but it's always helpful to hear Mm. 
from other authors, just different approaches to the process. So I'd love to chat with you about some of the specifics of publishing. But of course, to get started, I have to ask you the question that we always start these interviews with. And that is, what does it mean to you to find your voice? You know, I feel like the question kind of makes me laugh a tiny bit because I, like so many people, have always hated the sound of my own voice. And I mean, my actual voice, you know, I've always felt like it sounds like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually had people say that I sound like Pam from The Office. Um, you do. Which makes me laugh because I actually love listening to Pam from The Office. I love Jenna Fisher. But, you know, for a long time, that belief about my own voice ran directly in like a, a headbutting sort of way against some of my gifts. Like, let me break this down. When I was like five, in, you know, grade school, we had to go around in a circle and read. Maybe it was maybe it was a little older than five, I don't remember. But I remember the teacher specifically saying, like, wow, Mary, you're really good at reading aloud. And I thought, what a horrible <laughs> thing to <laughs> be good at. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, fantastic. Like I yeah. I wanted the things that were getting called out in other people, like, oh, you're so pretty or you're so cute or you're so fun or whatever. And, you know, fast forward uh, 15 or so years, I'm in my 20s and I start doing readings in friends' weddings. And this happened to me not once but twice where I did a reading. One was Corinthians, the other was the Velveteen Rabbit. And afterwards, like every guest in attendance came up to me and said, that's the best wedding reading we've ever heard. And I, again, (laughs) thought to myself, fantastic, but what am I supposed to do with that, you know? (laughs) And so the more you can be a voice story, actor, you've missed it, your calling. <laughs> exactly. Well, like, so now people are like, oh, you should read my audiobook. And my friends are like, you could read nursery rhymes if being an author doesn't work out. And so, and I have a podcast, you know, and it's like, yeah. I've read my own audiobook. And so things start to make sense. These gifts you have, these things that are being called out in you by other people that you want to minimize because they come easy to you. These are little breadcrumbs that God is giving you about Hmm. much bigger things he's going to do with them in your life that don't make any sense, that may not even exist yet. Podcasting, what is that? And so finding my voice was kind of a journey of making peace with what I thought was lacking in the place where it intersected with some gifts, you know, and finding a way to use that you know, the courage to move past the, the the doubts and what I thought was lacking and the insecurities to say, how can I use these gifts I've been given to honor the giver of those gifts, but also to serve people and kind of get over myself a little bit because so many people listening right now are sitting on their gifts because they have insecurities around them and they're telling themselves yes. these lies about how those aren't good gifts to have or who's going to care about that. And so that's my very long roundabout way of saying that's how I started to find my voice. Oh, it's not too long of an answer at all. It's a perfect (laughs) answer. And because you mentioned insecurities, I want to ask you a question about insecurities. The thing that people who have never published don't realize is that people who have published have massive insecurities around Mm. their writing and around their contribution and around this thing that they've created that no matter how many times you've done this, I always joke like, you know, I've been through so many book launches in my life. I've done three of my own and I've participated in dozens at least, if not more Mm. with clients that I've worked with. And it doesn't matter how many times you do this thing. You always feel like the high school version of yourself when you're (laughs) launching a book out into the world. I'm curious if you can talk about like some of the stages of the process of writing a book especially a book like Dirt that's telling personal stories from your life, the process of writing the book and editing the book and then marketing the book and putting it into the world and sharing it and hearing back from other people. What are some of the insecurities that you have experienced and how have you coped with that? Mm. 
Well, I feel like right across the top, let's just deal with two insecurities that keep most people from ever starting. And that is, who is ever going to care about this? Like, like yes. what is what is this story? Who's ever going <laughs> to care about this? And the other is, in kind of a weird opposite extreme, this has already been told and people have already cared plenty about it, but it's already been done. Yes. Um, and so both of those really kind of keep you stuck. And we talked a little bit on the IG Live, which people should definitely check out. I've shared that a couple times to my story because it was like, we got into some real stuff. We did. And if you're stuck wanting to start writing and, and you don't know how to share your story when it involves telling other people's stories, that's a great place to start. But I talked a little bit about... I'm, t- I'm writing a story that's like humble beginnings to the Ivy League. I grew up in a trailer in West Virginia to Yale Law School. And it's like, okay, uh, educated, hillbilly elegy, glass castle. And for a long time, I wouldn't even speak those books out loud because I didn't want to draw other people's attention yes, to it. Totally. Maybe nobody else will even notice. <laughs> yeah. Like I started getting all these comments on the Facebook ads during the launch that were like, oh, cool. It sounds like hillbilly elegy. And I'd be like, kind of, but it's also different. You know, yeah. like there's, there's differences. <laughs> And so I think that's like, there's this insecurity that we all start with that says, I mean, it says so much about the broader insecurity, which is basically who's, who's going to care about my story is another way of saying like, will my life pass unnoticed? Mm. Do people care about my story, meaning my life, like me, that the fact that I was here, is this like remarkable enough to ever be in the written form? So I think that's part of it. And I loved what you're saying about like this high school version of yourself, because so much of launching a book, I, I was saying this to Justin the other day, I was like, books are so fascinating to me because the authors want so badly for them to be valuable that like all the secrets of life and fonts of wisdom can be found for under 20 bucks in the form of books in the world. Totally. And they're being released at a time when like yeah. our attention spans are like goldfish right now, you know? And it's like, totally. guys, like all the answers are in these books that these authors so badly want you to buy. And so I think there is this element of like, pick me, choose me, let me yeah. make you happy. Julia Roberts in My Best Friend's Wedding saying, of all these books that are being released and all of your limited attention span and your busy life, let my book be the one that makes it through. Yeah, And it can feel like this very frustrating game of the people who've been in it long enough and have a reader base have this like leaps and bounds advantage. Like there is a certain element of, I trust you to buy more of your books because your last books didn't let me down. Yeah, Yeah, sure. That so, okay. A good transition again to another question I have Mm -hmm. for you, which has to do with platform, because I talk a lot about on this show, how one of the most common pieces of advice given to brand new writers is grow your platform because we know that you can't traditionally publish a book unless you have a decent platform to sell the book. And yet I find this advice to be really discouraging. Not only do I hear from writers that it's incredibly discouraging to get that feedback, but also I think it sends writers in the wrong direction oftentimes because Mm. growing your platform will do one thing for you, but it won't grow your message and it doesn't refine your craft. And there's two different things. There's creating a beautiful piece of art and there's selling that beautiful piece of art. And if all you ever do is focus on selling the piece of art, then you never actually create the art to sell. And so now you have the platform, but you don't have the book. So I think a lot of times we can get kind of lost in the rabbit trail of platform. And yet we also understand that if you want to make a business out of selling books, you've got to have 
a platform, whatever that means. You've also done an amazing job of growing a community of people. I don't love the word platform, but I think you've grown this community of people on Instagram. You have a community of people around your podcast. You have obviously a community of people that have received this book really well, and you're getting feedback from Mm -hmm. the book. So how, I don't know, like you don't have to like give us your whole marketing plan, but like what are some things that you're doing? What are some tips that you could give to people who are, they don't have the first clue about what that even mm. involves to grow a platform. And also keep in mind too, that most of the people who are listening to the show are like, nothing sounds more miserable to me than trying to get new followers on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hey, well, first of all, can we just say amen to all of that? Yeah, like, amen. I yeah. also agree that nothing sounds more <laughs> miserable than trying to get more followers on Instagram, especially because from my observation, most people, Instagram did something where, where the culture of Instagram changed. And it was like, whatever following you have, it was like frozen in time moment. Yeah. And it's like most people that I know who are not, you know, constantly doing like loop giveaways or whatever the case is, not that there's anything wrong with that, but who, most people who are not either buying followers or doing some other mm-hmm. thing to to manipulate it, organic growth is is not, they're sort of where they were a year ago. And so what I've been actually telling, I'm coaching for the first time, I'm walking through with, I have some coaching clients, some of them are doing launching courses, some of them want to write a book. And what I have said to my, I want to write a book people about platform is like, focus on what you can control because I have no idea on Instagram. And so when I talk to them about growing a platform that is marketable and will make them you know, desirable to publishers, we talk a lot more about growing an email list. And that may also yes. fall under the sure. category of, I do not really want to think about that to the people listening, but that is at least something that you can achieve. That is something you can make happen in the form of having like freebies and and all that other stuff we could get into if that's something interesting. But I would say what's more important to think about is the like almost like a balsamic reduction concentration (laughs) of your audience. So I grew my audience first as a wedding photographer. My husband, Justin, and I had a wedding photography business for the last 15 years And so I'm coming to pitch my book, coming to the table with a fairly large following, you know, not the largest Mm -hmm. by any means, but a fairly large following and a fairly large email list from doing all of our launches for our photography courses. And the publishers were rightly interested in knowing, will a photography audience translate to be readers of the book? Yes. And that was something we talked about a lot. And I, to answer that, because I'm always like, let's get scrappy and make it work. I asked my audience, Hey, let me know if you've been waiting for this book. And I took all their comments and like made a blog post out of them of like screenshots of what they said. I and we love sent that, that to publishers. That's amazing. It's a good question because just because somebody follows you for one thing, it doesn't yes. mean they're going to buy your book. Side note that this is another reason why I really don't like that advice to go grow your following because I've learned the hard way that when you can grow a following for one thing and it doesn't give you permission to write the book you actually want to write. If you haven't defined your message, what you want to share with the world yet, this happened to me when I first started blogging, I had no clue what I was doing. All I knew is I wanted to write a book and publishers told me to grow my following. So I started writing about whatever would get me the most attention on my blog. I started writing about all about dating and relationships because I would I was single living in Portland, Oregon at the time and I would tell stories about going on these blind dates from the internet and they would be hilarious stories and people would love the way that I told the stories and so I grew this huge following. I mean, I had like 
80,000 unique visitors a month or something like that coming to my site to read these stories about dating and relationships. And then when I went to go write a book, publishers were like, it's great that you have this following, but we want you to write a book on dating. And I was like, no, I don't want to write a book on dating. That sounds miserable to me. So it's, it's like we can get so focused on growing the following that we forget, you know, to ask the question, like, what's the thing that I really want to talk about? You know, what's the thing that I want to be known mm. for. But I I feel like you've done an amazing job with that. And I thought this after we did the Instagram live together, because, you know, on Instagram live, when you go live, it pulls from your, the people who follow me on Instagram and people who follow you on Instagram. And you had so many people in that group who came on the live and were like, just, you could tell that they're really truly authentically engaged with who you are and what you're doing. So I don't know if there's something that you've done, if, if it's just who you are, it could just be the essence of who you are, or if there's something that you've done to do that. But it felt to me like it's not just a bunch of people who are looking to take from you. It's not just like a bunch of consumers. It's people who feel really invested in what you are together as a community. Well, first of all, I'll just say that I think it's so interesting how we speak into each other's lives because that's like a that was very healing, I guess, to me, because Mm. that's like a lie I've had in my head a lot is that I'm not good at building communities or I'm not good at like drawing people around us. And, you know, we have seen that in our photography business. When we were first starting in our photography business, we were full of heart and we were quirky and we were fresh and we were new and we got a big group around us. And then like, as we became more and more established and more, no longer the underdogs, like, you know, it was sort of like dividing attention among the newer people in us. There was this lie in my head that was something like, you speak from the stage, but you don't come down to where people are anymore. Uh. And that's like the broader strokes of like just fear around like, you know, I I look at somebody like Emily Lay, who I love and adore, and she's just, it seems so natural that she just like gathers people around her. And I told myself, like, whatever that is, maybe you're an introvert is maybe part of it, or like, you're too serious, or you you want to talk about philosophy or whatever, like people just don't do that for you. So that's, first mm. of all, very healing for you to say that to me, because it makes me feel like some of the intentional work we've been doing is working. And not to interrupt your flow, but I also just want to say, like, this whole book <laughs> is you coming down off of the stage to speak, to look into a reader's eye and speak to them. I mean, this book is you writing from that standpoint. It's you just telling the truth as it is. There's so many beautiful things about the way that you approach telling this story. It's one thing to just like, you know, tell your story. Another thing to, I think, approach it from a perspective of like real vulnerability and humility and dignifying the others who are in the story, which we'll get to. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just wanted to make sure to say that, that like, you're doing great. Yeah, you can. I mean, honestly, you can interrupt me all day to tell me stuff like that because, you know, gosh, when you're trying to help people, this resistance, you know, like Stephen Pressfield talks about in The War of Art or spiritual warfare or whatever you want to call it, it will come in and it will tell you every lie it needs to to keep you quiet, including you're not really somebody who cares about other people. You're not really somebody who serves. You you don't really share from a relatable place. Nobody's going to care about this story, all those things. Mm. And so on a practical level on how we've started to build community around the book or around the platform or whatever, is we really got back into this place of I started to say to my husband, Justin, and my coach, Kim, who's my goals coach, that I wanted to start seeing the people in our audience as the real gold. As the And I said, like, mm. like they are this currency of gold. And that sounds very transactional or like you're seeing people as like a, cur- a currency sounds like a negative thing. 
But what I mean is like when you start seeing every single person in that audience, every single comment as somebody who has a whole life and like their own things they're struggling with and their own insecurities, and you actually like begin to care about people one-to-one, you will build a platform of A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where it's, if you focus on the platform, it's going to be really difficult and unfulfilling to build it. But if you focus on the people, the platform takes care of itself and it, and it also becomes much more connective and fulfilling. I mean, we're designed to be in connective relationship with others. And so if we focus as ourselves on ourselves as an influencer on Instagram, and I just got to get that number to get higher, it's, it's not only unhelpful for the people who are following, but it's also just really self-destructive and unfulfilling versus focusing on the individuals who truly are showing up and being inspired by what you have to say and what you have to share. So, yeah. You know what I love about that is it reminds me of what you said a little while ago about you can't focus on your craft if you're focusing on building the platform. And I wrote some stuff recently that was like, guys, like just a gentle reminder, big sister love. I'm all for social media, but you could be Instagramming, TikToking and clubhousing your way right out of the dream, right? You could be over here creating content in this currency of fleeting that disappears, disappears, disappears. And meanwhile, the words that are really supposed to be on the page aren't happening or whatever the actual dream is. And there's this very cool thing that happens with a book, another practical thing for everybody who's like thinking about writing a story, writing your, you know, getting your story out there in the world. I don't even want to say like my audience or whatever, but like the people around me are growing without me because the book is going out and yes, building that for me. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's yeah. like I get to like clone myself basically. There's like however many thousands of me out there having one-on-one conversations with people yeah. in the form of these pages. Yeah. Books are so much more intimate than social media is, you know, like social media yeah. is so disposable and also Instagram yeah. could disappear tomorrow yes. and all of the work that you've put into writing those. I think about this all the time. I'm like, I should go yeah. back and save my captions and I've never done it. But, yeah. but a book is something that lives beyond you and outside of you. And it's also the other thing I love about books is they are super intimate. You know, you mentioned before, like an author is including all of their deepest secrets and all of their like best advice into this product that they're giving to you for like 17, 18, 19, $20. You know I mean? Like, it's just like insane that that is available to us, but also books are things that we take with us on vacation. You take it into your bed with you. You take it into the bath Mm -hmm. with you. You hold them close. You reach for them when you're in really dark seasons of your life. And that as an author, I think is such a huge honor to think that people would like come back to words that I wrote and underline them and dog ear the pages and use it as a way to remind themselves of what's really true about them and what really matters. Like it's just such an honor to have and hold that space and place in a reader's life. So I know this is kind of taking us all the way back to the beginning of your process, but I am curious how you came up with the idea for dirt. And then how did you, how were you sure that this was your idea and that you were going to actually take the steps to write this book? Mm, You know, um, I think the answer has two parts. One of them is not going to be super helpful to somebody listening, so I'll keep that very short, which is I feel like I knew I wanted to write this story since I was five. I grew up not far from a famous author named Pearl S. Buck who had a little homestead with a little like plaque outside, you know, birthplace of Pearl S. Buck. And I felt like at a very young age, because I was like, what is this trailer? What is that? Even like as a little kid, I sort of felt like I was 
that this was not all there was to the story, we'll say. And I felt like I heard God say very, at a young age, you know, like, um, Gino, don't worry. Like, I'm going to put words to this. It's going to make sense. Mm. So I feel like as a little kid, and I was also that weird kid who would walk around the yard being like, she picked up her toy and pondered it in the distance <laughs> or whatever. So, you were like thinking in philosophy yeah, at five years old. Yes. <gasps> Na- you know, narrative descriptions or whatever. And so th- there's one level where like I always knew that being a writer, I don't think I even knew the word author yet, was the ultimate dream. It was the ultimate place I was headed. That's not super helpful if you are listening and you're like, well, I didn't know that at five. Or Mm -hmm. I did, but I haven't done anything, right? The more practical was like figuring out, okay, I'm telling my story, but there are a thousand different ways I could have told this story. I've said this all along to, you know, an agent and an editor and the whole process. I said, listen, like, there are a thousand permutations of how the story could be told, what's in, what's out, that could lead f- to very different results. Mm-hmm. Is this a very angry, bitter story? Is this a rose-colored, everything-was-fine story? Or is it some yeah. of the other 998 combinations in between? And so for that, this is where I do think it's helpful. It's thinking about what do you want that reader, what is that felt need that you want to come in and quench? What are these little wounds that are on fire that your words can be a salve to. And so I went into writing Dirt with a fairly good idea that it was going to be a book about giving up achieving for your worth and not trying to run so hard from your stories, thinking gold stars were ever going to make you feel like enough of something or that there is an arrival point. So I knew that one. The one that caught me by surprise when I started writing, though, is that it also became this kind of anthem for forgiveness Mm. and that reconciliation is always worth the fight. So I should qualify that. That was something that my coach said to me when I was writing. She's not a writing coach. She's just a, a not just, she's a goals coach. <laughs> <laughs> but we were walking through the writing process and I was deciding how to handle the story about my mom leaving when I was little. And she said, you know, I think you will find the words and I, and I know that you'll get there. And I, And I want you to tell the truth and I want you to not shy away from hard things. But what would happen if you challenged yourself to write this story in a way that didn't slam the door on reconciliation? So I'm not saying you have to, but that it just didn't close off that possibility. And that was a real game changer because I ended up doing these three-hour calls with my mom throughout the process. And through writing a book about her leaving, in one part that's what it's about, she came back into my life. So that's really crazy and powerful. And the biggest fears, you know, besides the ones I mentioned, it are like, how am I supposed to tell a story that involves telling other people's stories when they're still here and it would break their hearts or they'd never speak to me again. That was my biggest fear writing dirt is my mom would never speak to me again. And we're closer than we've ever been. Now, listen, it doesn't always work out that way, but it is to say these things that you fear the most, most of them don't don't come to pass. True. And yeah. the other thing too, I'll add to that is it doesn't always turn out that way, but writing about those relationships always brings a lot of clarity to the yeah. relationship. So you, you and I talked about this when you interviewed me on your podcast, but I wrote a book about leaving an abusive relationship and mm-hmm. rebuilding myself on the other side of that. And I also, I feel like you and I share this, like I really wanted to approach the book from a, uh, the story from a place of not trying to malign this other person who had really done a lot of damage to me, but also wanting to tell the truth. And sometimes that's a difficult balance. And the thing, the clarity that came to me through the process of writing that was a little bit different than what happened with you and your mom. But for me, it was like, you know, the best way for me to 
quote unquote reconcile with this person is to never see them again in my life. Mm -hmm. Never speak to them, never see them. It's like, this is how I can reconcile with this person and I can make peace with what has taken place. And I have, I can actually carry the experience with me with a lot of gratitude because I know that I know that I know that boundaries are in place where, where I will never have to be in the same room with him again. Yeah. And that, I feel like that clarity for me is equally as peaceful as the peace that you have found in the relationship to your mom. Yeah. Peaceful and important and valuable. And also when you said boundaries, are was there like a part of that that was referencing the book boundaries? Well, not necessarily. Yes. Yes. And no. I mean, it was like about shutting the door mm. to any sort of access that this person had to me because it didn't feel safe. Yeah. There's this part in boundaries that really changed, changed my whole like outlook. And I read it even before I got into the thick of writing Dirt, and I actually talked about it in one of my very first podcast episodes, and he basically talks about there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. And he says, forgiveness is an inside job. It requires one person, you. And it's like all the stuff about not drinking poison, hoping the other person dies. He said, but reconciliation is a two-person job, and it requires that other person acknowledging the bad behavior and turning away from the bad behavior. Yes. And there's a lot of people, myself included, who were who are very reluctant to forgive because we think it means allowing those people back into our lives. Like, we have to, but it's not. He says there's two separate steps there. Yeah, that really resonates and fits with my story for sure. There's been so much forgiveness. I hold no animosity or bitterness toward this person anymore because I have come to own so much of my power that I just don't feel, I don't feel like a victim anymore. I definitely did for a period of time, but now I don't. And and that allows me to let it go and and forgive. But yeah, reconciliation is a different story. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I do actually want to talk about that. I want to linger on this topic because one of the things that I love so much about your writing and the way you approached telling the story in Dirt is the way that you brought dignity to so many, to, to all of the characters that were involved. Uh, and, you know, I think I use the word dignity because it isn't like you didn't tell some hard truths about your family members, <laughs> mm. but you tell the truths in a way that's very nuanced and multifaceted and integrated and healthy. It felt really, yeah, it felt like you brought dignity to these people in the story. And this is a question I get maybe more than any other question from writers is how do I tell, how do I talk about other people in my story? So you may have already answered the question, but I'll, I'll say it anyway and just give you a chance to share anything else that comes to mind for you about how you, how do you talk about other people when the way they've acted is hard to reconcile? Oh my gosh. Yes. Like that was the biggest question. And we we have talked before that I had a first draft of this book that could not have been more different from the copy, from the version of Dirt you would hold in your hands if you bought it today. In fact, I gutted 50,000 words in two months, gutted and rewrote 50,000 words in two months between December and February of uh, 2019 into 2020. And so what I would say to that is a couple of things. One is I read a book called The Art of Memoir from Mary Carr, which I highly recommend. I really, really loved that book before before diving into it even, and then even more so when I was working on the second draft. And she said, the best memoirists are willing to punch themselves in the face first. And I was like, oh, dang. Like, you know, and, and to put it another way, my coach Kim had said to me, you know, none of us is all good or all bad, and the hero is not unflawed, and the antagonist is not evil. Like, what was your responsibility in the story? Like where, where were the times you hurt them? 
Mm. And it was just a different way of thinking about it than I had been because it had been like, let me tell you what happened to me. Yeah, yeah. And so that was one level was just even thinking about like being willing to, if somebody was going to take the brunt of the beating in this book, it was going to be me. I was going to yeah. really think about like, you know, where I was selfish or where I was spoiled or only thinking about me or what have you. And then the other part of it is, you know, just really kind of like starting to tell the story through this version of grace. And for me, the fact that the story had been told so many times before was actually very helpful to me because I had seen instances where in telling stories like this, the town or the area or what have you had sort of been reduced to a caricature of itself. And talking about those thousand permutations of this book, I could have said, hey, let me talk about West Virginia, this beautiful state that I come from that has problems like every state. And let me like punch it while it's down. Let me kick it while it's down with like piling on of like another story about how it's broken. Let me tell the reader things they think they already know about this area. Or I could say, let me take what I've learned in photography that there is no true black and white, but just this beautiful painting of shades of gray. And let's add depth and richness to the picture that I'm painting. And let me tell, let me, let me maybe start with some things that the reader thinks they already know about the area to bring them in. And then let me surprise them with all the things they didn't know. So it's challenging, Allie, to tell a story about an area that's already kind of known as its stereotypes. Let's say the stereotypes of West Virginia are a trailer, some trucks up on blocks, a stray hungry looking dog, a dirty barefoot kid. Dad's probably a logger or coal miner. They're probably Scotch Irish, you know, like Mm. this whole, like check the boxes. And it's like, well, whoops, there's a lot in my story that checks every one of those boxes. Yeah, yeah. So now let me say, let's get it out there. Those are the things that are the caricature. But now that you're paying attention, reader, let me tell you a bunch of stuff you don't know. Yeah. And you do such a great job of that. You really do tell the story in such a multifaceted way. And we talked about in our Instagram live about this idea of writing being self-indulgent and how the act of writing, you talk about this in the live, really is the opposite. Like it, you know, you go into it talking about yourself, but it really forces you to look at yourself in a true way and to to think about yourself as only one player in the story and to think about the story mm. really differently. So if you want to hear more about that, go make sure that you check out my Instagram live with Mary, which is saved in my grid on Instagram. What, I have another couple of questions for you that are really practical, if that's okay, about publishing. Because yeah. I know we have a lot of people listening who think they have a book idea in them and maybe they're like you or they've been dreaming about this since they were five or maybe not that, but maybe they just have like a deep knowing that they have a story that they have to share and they're, they just have no clue where to start. Probably the most common question that I ever get is how do I find an agent? Yeah. <laughs> Which I think there's like 10 questions under that question usually. Yeah. But can right. you talk a little bit about like the practicals of the publishing process for you? Like how did you decide to, to traditionally publish? How did you meet your agent? How did you write your book proposal document? I don't know. You can kind of take it wherever you want to go. I'll ask a few more questions along the way. Yeah. So I think that I I did have this idea in my head, which I, I I don't know if this is like just like a new writer thing or or what, but I did have this idea in my head that in order for this to feel like a quote unquote real book, and I no longer feel this way, I did feel like it had to be a traditional publisher. Yeah, yeah, we a lot of us have that association for sure. 
Yeah. And I, I do think that they're like, it depends on, it all depends on your goals, right? Like what you want to accomplish with the book, but there's a lot of different ways to get a book into the world. So don't take me saying that to, to be the truth or like, that's how you have to go. But I did feel that way. And I mean, I think, I don't know, there's so, this is like, you really have to kind of like think about the whole story in terms of like me <laughs> putting off what I'm called to do as long as possible, right? So I have this dream when I'm five. Well, I released the book last year when I turned 40. So there's a, lot of, <laughs> there's a little bit of time to make up for it. Yeah. There. And what's interesting is that I actually ended up signing with my agent in 2017. So there was three years between when I signed with my agent till even we, well, I guess two years until we pitched. And so I signed with my agent for a two-year contract. And the only thing that made me actually get around to finishing the proposal was this fear in my head of like, what if the time runs out and they don't renew my contract? So we're, we're backing up a little bit to how did I get my agent. This is another one of those parts of my story that's probably like not wildly help, helpful. So I'll tell the shortest version of it. And that is that I finally felt like in January of 2016, okay, I got to get serious about doing this thing I've talked about. Like, like there's, there's a great quote on Pinterest that's like, everybody knows you want to do this. Believe me, you've talked about it plenty. Like, stop talking about it. Go do it. Basically, yeah. it's more articulate than that. But it's like, believe me, everybody's heard you say you want to do this thing. And I was just really starting to feel that where like I had, you know, started to scale back from weddings because I was writing the book and I was launching this thing because it was going to be my income while I was writing the book. And I was doing all these things with my life because I was going to yeah. be writing the book, but no book was getting written and it was yeah, becoming yeah, yeah, painful, yeah. you know? And so January, 2016, I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready, God, to like, let's do this thing. And I do feel like God said, that's great, but when you when it's the right time, an agent will be provided. I don't want you to go search for them. This is not advice I'm giving to your listeners. I'm just telling you what happened to me. And that is, I said, that's fine, but this is the agent that I would really like to have if you can work that into your plans. And fast forward 12 months, nothing happens. And I go on a podcast and somebody hears me and they send an email and they said, I really feel like I want to introduce you to my family they're in publishing. And it was that agent. No way. Yeah. So that's the story of how it happened. Now that's not helpful to anybody because I'm like, oh, just wait and yeah. Like, yeah. hear a voice that will tell you. But I think what was good about that is the time that I was, you know, when I felt like, oh, I've wasted all this time and what took me so long and I'm just meandering, I was working on the craft and I was working on the message. Yes. And I was working on what is it about my story that can actually help and serve other people so that when I go on that podcast episode and talk about my story, it's in a form where when somebody hears it, they can go, let me introduce you. Yeah. Yeah. I Yeah. That to me, two things I pull from your story. Number one is what you just said, that you had your head down and you were working on your book. You were, you were growing your message, growing your craft, trusting that when the time was right, that the vehicle in, to get that story out in the world would be provided to you. I think that's really great advice for listeners. And the second piece of advice is um, that I pull from your story is just really trusting your own intuition, your own creative intuition and your own gut. Mm. And again, trusting that the vehicle for getting this thing out in the world will be provided for you at the right time. You know, I'm a firm believer that white knuckling our way through life is not only miserable, but it's just rarely, rarely works very well. Even yeah. when it gets you what you want, usually the thing you get isn't as satisfying as it would have been if you would have kind of ridden the wave. Um, I have a friend who says like, it's like being on river time. Like you can't get there any faster or slower. You just got to ride the river <laughs> down, yeah. down the path. I think there's something to be said for that when it comes to producing a piece of creative work. It's like you can follow your intuition to know when it's time to write the thing. You can know when it's time to 
look for an agent if that's what you're going to do. You can kind of follow your intuition to know whether you think you're moving towards self-publishing or traditional publishing. And it's a really underrepresented and undervalued part of the creative process, that ability to trust your inner knowing to know what's next. So I pull that from your story. I think that's actually really good advice for people who are listening. Yeah. And I think like what you said there, like if you're white knuckling your way through life, what you're not doing is going through life with an open hand, like being open to the unexpected. And I don't know about you, Ellie, but the best things that have happened to me were unexpected. I was not like creating them, right? It was like, oh gosh, let me go on match.com on a three day free trial. And whoops, there's my husband husband, now of almost 15, 14 years this year. So um, I actually, we were talking about this before we hopped on. I was just recording an interview on my podcast uh, with Morgan Harper Nichols. And she had this line from her new book that says, it is okay to have my plans while holding them loosely in my hands, cupping water in my palm. It's already slipping through my fingers. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Leave it to Morgan Harper Nichols to I know. say it better than anyone else could say it. Oh, that's Dang. so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. That's gorgeous. Okay. One more question I want to ask you before we need to wrap up, but I'm curious about your writing practice now. Like, do you see books for you, yourself in the future? I'm assuming you do. If so, how, what's the timeline on that? And then like, you know, do you have a daily practice of writing? What does that look like for mm. you? Yeah, so I definitely have books in my future. Um, the contract I ended up signing is actually for five books. <laughs> so, five books? Yeah. Oh my goodness gracious. I, I will be doing Look that for you. a while. I'll be doing that for a while. And yeah. so, you know, that kind of gets into, you know, a little bit maybe that I even didn't answer from the previous question of once I had the agent we signed, they sent me over there like, here is sort of our signature format for a proposal. And I just sort of worked on it and worked on it and took my time and got in my way. And then the timeline was kind of running out. And then I got really serious and got it done in a couple of weeks, you know, as the case normally goes. And then when we pitched, again, just like holding your expectations very loosely, I was like convinced I wasn't even going to get an offer. And we had sort of, you know, an idea in our heads of what to expect for a first time author in terms of advance and things like that. And it ended up that there were five publishers who were kind of going back and forth on it. So when I'm coaching, you know, my clients in terms of like getting ready for that stage, I like this idea of like prepare for the worst and hope for the best kind of an idea yes. where it could be, it could really surprise you, you know, and, but also like go into it with like even getting your ideas and your words in front of publishers and having those phone calls, you will, it's like a masterclass yeah. in being an author. So even just getting to go through the pitching experience, I learned a ton. Yeah, so totally. There, there are more books to come. Is the short answer? So you My have next a lot one of I'm... writing to do. Yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> there absolutely has to be a writing practice, which is it's very different writing this book than it was the first one, which they don't really tell you because I am now simultaneously marketing the first book yes. and you know doing things to get the first book out there while also while trying to write the second, the second book, which is challenging. So I, you know, and I have the coaching now and I have the podcast now and we, work, you know, we record every Wednesdays and things like that. And so I have to get, I had to become like a big fan of block scheduling. Sure. Like you talk about a lot, having the rituals to kind of like get my brain into writing mode faster. Like, okay, guys, like all of you neurons up there firing, we've got to cooperate because we have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
having the same place that I write every day, lighting the candle. Mm -hmm. We talked about on the live about like you say limbic, get into your limbs, you know, and so like dancing in the living room to kind of get into that more creative place. And I stayed really, really, really stuck all through November and December trying to write book two because I was like living in that problem solving to-do list checking prefrontal cortex and nothing was coming. And then we have our call and I read your book and it was like, you you said ask better questions limbic think limbs you know the power of holding the story outside yourself yeah. and suddenly i'm like okay oh, it's working so again <laughs> it's back and so for everybody listening if you feel stuck in your words you've got to go pick up the power of writing it down because oh, i'm telling that. you i was like really blocked that's so and encouraging it, it for me, me to hear i love that yeah. you know i think sometimes when you're in the early stages of writing a book and you haven't published anything yet it's easy to get in a mode where you feel like when I have a following and when I have a book contract, and when I have an agent, then I'm going to feel like a real writer and then everything is going to fall into place and then things are going to be amazing. And when you hear Mary's story, what I, this is what I want you to pull from it. This might seem like a really random thing to pull from it, but I want mm-hmm. you to hear that there's kind of a gift in being in that early, in those early stages where you don't have a publisher mm-hmm. working on you you don't have a deadline. You don't have an agent. You don't, there's no paycheck attached to this. You get to invent like whatever you want to create, whatever you want to write, whatever you want to put out in the world gets to come from inside of you. And eventually there will be a time. It's, it's not to disparage the time when you've got an agent and a publisher and, and a timeline and, and whatever. But I think what I want you to hear as you listen to Mary talk about that is to just enjoy the part of the process that you're in right now because it will morph and change and become something new and it will be wonderful in a new kind of way, but it will never be the way that it is for you right now. Yeah, that's so true. Like you, it becomes your job and you can love your job, but it's your job. And also like, I just, one of the things I kept saying to myself over and over and over again, when we were working on the proposal and getting ready to pitch and anybody who's like, even just like, that's your next mountain in the distance you're working towards, I kept saying to myself, you only ever get to pitch your first book once, Mm, you know, and just try your best to enjoy it. Enjoy every call, enjoy every email, enjoy every, instead of like stressing about the outcome, um, just kind of soak it in, you know, it's like, I feel like it's like the people who go to the Olympics and you end up rooting for them more because they're having a blast. Yeah. You know, they're like soaking in every minute of it versus the people who are like all intense and like walked away somewhere. (laughs) Totally, totally. Last question for you today, Mary, what is it that keeps you coming back to the writing process? Oh man. I feel like it's like, it's something like holding in a sneeze. Like it really hurts. You know, it's like you have (laughs) all this pressure and you have to get it out in the world. And if you try to like bury the sneeze, you just end up getting a headache. It's kind of like that with words. Like, I don't know about you, but it's like, I I sort of picture like a Mario world kind of like power up situation. I don't know if that's the right video game or not, but it's like the world, the words build up, build up, build up, and you have to like get them out there. Totally. And then maybe the next day they build up again and it's just sort of a constant flow that that it, it, it hurts to hold on to them too long. Yeah. You can't not do it. That's my reason yeah. too. Yeah. Mary, thank you so much for being here today. It's such a gift to talk with you. And you know, now that we're friends, yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm really grateful to be connected to you. I'm grateful for you sharing your wisdom with our, with our community here. And, and I'm just really glad to be in your orbit now. Yeah, me too. And I'm holding you to the Eric Church country music Yes, we're going. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as this, as soon as everybody's vaccinated, you and I are going to a country music show. Perfect. (laughs) 
Okay, thank you again, Mary. Do you have a sense that you have a story you want to write, but you aren't sure you want to publish it? Or maybe you're definitely sure you don't want to publish, but the idea of writing your personal story sounds like something you might like to try. Finally, finally, I have a resource for you. For over a decade, myself and my team at Find Your Voice have been supporting authors who have powerful stories that they want to publish in the format of a book. And over all those years, I've watched as the power of writing down a personal story brought clarity to these authors, brought healing to their lives, and ultimately helped them take back their lives from critics, from past mistakes, from a culture that wanted to define them or put them in a box. But until now, I didn't have a great resource for someone who wanted to write their story, not for publishing, but for taking back their power. So if that's you, this is exciting news. Right now, you can go to writeyourstory.com and for free, you can download a simple worksheet that's going to walk you through the beginning steps of outlining your personal story. All you have to do is complete the questions on the worksheet, watch the videos, and I'll teach you not only how to tell your story, but how to take back your life by telling your story. I'm going to teach you how to know what's really interesting about your personal story, how to know where the story starts and where it stops, and I'll even teach you a trick that the pros use to take their writing from good to great. Don't wait another day to write your story and take back your life. Head to writeyourstory.com right now and download your free worksheet. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.